Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. I'll read verse 13 through the beginning of verse 17. And Jesus says, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth. Let's once again pray together before we look at God's word. Father in heaven, we ask your help, your blessing upon your truth today. We cannot speak, we cannot receive the word without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would send him to each one of our hearts according to our need, that you would enlighten us and give truth to us today and for us who believe may we rejoice in all that you have said and for those who do not know you may their hearts be opened to receive the things that are spoken we pray that you would bless now our thoughts together and bless the word to us in Jesus name amen in our recent sermons we have been considering the heart of Jesus now that he has been exalted back into heaven and we are still here on earth as his disciples. What is the heart of Christ toward us? Now that he has returned to the throne of God, we still are here present in this world of sin and so much temptation. And if ever there was a place in the scripture where we could find the answer to that question, And to discover the heart of Jesus toward us, it is in this upper room discourse that John records for us here in John 13 through 17. Because in these chapters, Jesus speaks and he anticipates his return to his heavenly father. And this is what is central and uppermost upon his mind throughout everything that he says. He knows what lies before him. In his coming crucifixion on the next day, but he will rise again from the dead, and 40 days later, he will ascend back into heaven and take his seat in glory at the right hand of God the Father. And this is what his eyes are upon in everything he says in these chapters, as John tells us in chapter 13 and verse 1, as he introduces this upper room discourse, he says, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. And this is his heart, having loved his own who were in the world, he will love them to the end. And so, this is his heart of love and affection toward us. In the world, he will love us to the very end of life. He will love us until we enter into his eternal kingdom. He will love us to the end. And that is the heart that he discloses to us throughout this upper room discourse. He speaks here to alleviate 
the sorrow of his disciples who have just learned of his departure, his soon departure from them. He speaks words here of comfort and love and peace to them throughout this night. This was the eve of his death by crucifixion. In a very short time, he would find himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would be prostrate upon his face and his blood, his sweat would be like drops of blood falling down upon the ground in agony there. And then he would experience the false trial of Pilate and the false trial of the Sanhedrin. He would be sentenced to death. He would be scourged. He would be taken to Gethsemane and he would hang upon a cross naked for human sin. And he would die upon that cross to remove our sin. If ever there was a time when we might excuse Jesus for a little self-absorption, if ever there was a time when we might understand that he was concerned over his own needs, it would be now on this night. But throughout this Last Supper, all of his attention is focused upon the needs of his disciples and giving to them the comfort, the love, the encouragement that they need. Usually when one is dying, his friends gather around him to comfort him. But Jesus is the one about to die here, and his friends are gathered around him, but he is the one who is giving comfort to them. And he does this in different ways. The one way that we have seen that is very great is that his promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as he mentions here in verse 16 and 17, that when he departs from them, he will ascend to the Father. And as if the very first thing he will do when he is there, he will ask the Father to send to them another helper, another comforter who will be with them forever the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth, Jesus says. And he will speak to you. He will speak to you only truth concerning my love for you. And you may believe every word that he says because only truth comes from him. He proceeds from the Father and I myself will send him and everything that he says to you will be truth. He will glorify me. He will bear witness of me. And he will speak to you many words of love. Jesus has already told them that he is leaving them. But in verse 18 here he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will come to you by this helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send. And Jesus speaks in these chapters as if the Holy Spirit will be for them an even better and more abiding comforter than he has ever been to them. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not be with them for just a little while, but he says he will be with you forever at the end of verse 16. He may be with you forever. And if they were to say, well, you are departing from us as you have said, and 
you are sending to us another helper. And perhaps they would object and say, well, this other helper, will he leave us too, as you are doing with us? And Jesus would respond to them and say, no, he will never leave you. He will be with you forever. The spirit of truth will abide with you forever. And he will not only come beside you to comfort you, but he will dwell in you. The Holy Spirit will come and be in you forever. This is his great comfort to the disciples throughout this night. And so we can understand as later in chapter 16, Jesus will say to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your benefit. It is to your Gain that I depart from you, for if I do not depart from you, the helper will not come. But if I depart, if I leave you, I will send him to you. And so as we continue to look this morning at this same theme of the love of Christ for his disciples, now that he is exalted into heaven, we continue to look at it here in the Upper Room Discourse. And our subject this morning is his promises of prayer in verses 13 and 14. This is one of the great evidences of the continuing love of Christ for us as his disciples. As he is in heaven and we are on earth, he makes these promises of prayer, verses 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus makes here what we might consider two promises of prayer, one in each verse, each promise very similar to the other. In both verses, We are the ones who ask. We are the ones who are on earth. And he is in heaven. And he is the one who hears. And he is the one who answers our prayers. He anticipates his going to the Father. We see at the end of verse 12, he says, Because I go to the Father. And so he is with the Father in heaven now. We are on earth. We ask. This is prayer. A very simple thing that we are the ones who ask. He is in heaven and he hears us and he answers our prayers. He gives very two very wide and open and abundantly generous promises of prayer to us. He says, whatever you ask in verse 13. And in verse 14, he says, and if you ask anything, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. For you. This is the intercessory ministry of Jesus that he is looking forward to as he ascends back to the right hand of his heavenly father. He knows that his work of salvation on earth is now finished and he is done here and he will ascend back into heaven. And this is what he will be doing as he sits upon his throne there. He will be our intercessor. We will call upon him in prayer and he will hear us on his throne and he will use his divine power to answer us here on earth. Jesus did not give these promises of prayer 
out of thin air or out of the blue or out of nothing, but they are given in the context of this Last Supper in this Upper Room Discourse, which we will have time to consider the connections this day. The disciples have heard of his coming death many times. He spoke of it in the Gospels on other occasions. Different times he would speak of his coming death in Jerusalem, and he was going to Jerusalem, and they knew that He had spoken of these things so often, but now on this last night, the reality and the truth of it has suddenly dawned upon them, and it has all become very real to them, and their hearts are filled with distress and sorrow over his coming departure. They have been in the presence of Jesus for more than three years. Every day of that time, they were able to come to him and speak to him most freely, They had very sweet fellowship in the presence of Jesus. There was glory about everything that Jesus said. He had been their master. He had been their continuous, their constant companion and friend. He was their guide in every time of perplexity, their comfort in time of need. He was their great teacher. They could always come to him and freely speak with him about their needs and their questions, as they even do this night. But now he has told them, he says to them back in the previous chapter, he said, little children, I am with you a little while longer, only for a little while longer. And where I am going, he said, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come now. And we see in verse 2 of this chapter that Jesus has spoken of his going to his father's house. He said, in my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And when the disciples heard of his departure, they thought that it meant the end of all fellowship with Jesus of all communication with him, of all speaking to him. They would not see him anymore. And they thought this meant they would not be able to speak with him anymore. They would have no more fellowship with him as they had known for so long. Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. And they thought that meant, where I am going, you cannot speak with me anymore. But by these promises, Jesus tells them that it is not true. Even after I ascend to my Father in heaven, you will still be able to speak with me. I will be in glory. I will be upon my Father's throne And you may still come and speak with me, and I will hear you even from that throne. The great distance that there will be between me and you, I in heaven, you still upon earth, that very great distance between you and me, it will be no hindrance. It will be no hindrance to me hearing you when you pray. You may come and you may ask whatever you wish. 
You may come and anything you ask, I will hear. And I will do it for you. So we ask this morning, where is Jesus? He is exalted back into heaven. And we ask, what is he doing now that he is exalted back to his father's throne in heaven? This is what he is doing. His ear is open and his heart is fully inclined to us in prayer. This is what he is doing. He is waiting for messages to be sent from his disciples up to him in heaven. Whatever we ask and anything, he will do it. For us. We see in verse 13 that it seems to be implied that the Father is the one who hears us in verse 13, because at the end of verse 12, he mentions, I go to the Father. And then he says, And whatever you ask, and it seems to imply, whatever you ask the Father, In my name, that will I do. But then we see in verse 14 that it is clearly Jesus, the one to whom we must ask, because he says, if you ask me. So verse 13, we ask the Father. In verse 14, we ask Jesus. And so what we learn here is that prayer may be addressed to both the Father and the Son. There are no limitations of time that are given here or any limitation of the occasions on which we may send our requests up to him. There's no limitation regarding the place or the time of our prayers because the throne of heaven, Jesus says it will always now be open to us at any time, in any place. We may always come to him for this prayer So Jesus has left his disciples. And he is in heaven this morning at the right hand of God. He has left us, but he has not forgotten us. And he has gone back into heaven. And this is his continuing love for us, that his ear is open to our cries and his heart and his desires are for us who believe in him. So that whatever we may ask, in any need, any trouble, the promise continues for us today. As when he first spoke it. This is what we read of so often in other passages of the Bible where Jesus is the great high priest of his people. This is what we read of in the book of Hebrews. Where the apostle tells us that he abides forever. And he holds his priesthood permanently. And he says he is able to save forever those who draw near to God since he always lives, he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is the one who hears, he is the one who answers in verses, both verses. Whatever you ask, that will I do, he says. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We see in both verse 13 and 14, that Jesus tells us that we must pray in his name. He says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
And then he says again in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So two times, once in both of these promises, Jesus says that prayer must always be in the name of Jesus. In my name, he says, both times. So what does this mean when he says that prayer must be addressed in my name? He means that we must come to God the Father through him as the only mediator. All prayer and all approach of men to God, all access, all access into the presence of God must come through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only name that is given among men by which we must come to the Father. He is the only one who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven as the high priest and the intercessor. This is really what Jesus meant back in an earlier verse in the chapter. In verse 5, Thomas had said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus answered him in verse 6, and he said, I am the way. He said, I am the way of entrance. I am the way of acceptance. I am the only way of welcome with God the Father. I am the way back to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Several things that we may say in regard to in my name and Christ as mediator To pray in the name of Jesus means that we come in prayer by the blood of Jesus. We come by the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Because sin has separated us from all access to God. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. After the first sin, Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden and God stationed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned in every direction to guard the entrance so they could never come back into the Garden of Eden. It was a symbol of separation. It was a symbol of how we were alienated from God and we had all lost our fellowship with God. The offense of our sin must first be removed before we can have any access to God the Father, the holy God of heaven. And the only way by which our sin can be removed is by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, his Son, alone cleanses us from all sin. The blood of the cross. We may have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Let us draw near then with sincere faith through him. So the only way that we can come back to God the Father is in the name of Jesus. This is what it means by the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. We must first be cleansed before we can come. 
We lost our way to God by our sin. We lost our way. We ruined. We destroyed the entrance back to God. We lost our way by our sin. But Christ has restored the way back to the Father by his blood. So we come in his name by his blood. A second thing we can say is that to come to pray in the name of Jesus is to come in his righteousness. We need perfect righteousness to stand in the presence of the Father. We need purity. We need holiness to appear before him. We need white robes of righteousness to have any welcome with God the Father in heaven, and we have no righteousness in ourselves. And we cannot achieve any such righteousness. The only righteousness by which we can stand in the presence of God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ in his perfect life, his life of perfect obedience in all things. He pleased the Father. There's righteousness. And so when we come in the name of Jesus, we are standing before God the Father in the righteousness of Jesus, his beloved Son. To pray in the name of Jesus means, in the third place, that we plead his merit before the throne of God. The question that we are considering here is that when we pray, what is the reason by which we think we should receive anything from God the Father? When we ask for any good thing, on what basis? On what basis do we think that we should receive anything? Sometimes we might think, well, we have done some good deeds. Or perhaps we have walked a little better with God in recent days, and therefore we have kept ourselves from our sins, and therefore the Father has more reason to hear us. Perhaps we have a better form of prayer. We say things just as they ought to be said, the perfect form of prayer, and therefore the Father in heaven will hear us. Perhaps we are a little more intense in our prayers, a little more fervent in our prayers. Something that we do, we think, will give us some merit with the Father, and therefore he will be willing to hear us and answer us. But we deceive ourselves with such thoughts. Because we ourselves have no merit. And we can never achieve any merit ourselves. All merit is found in Jesus. And in what he has done for us as sinners. His life, his death upon the cross. All merit is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have no claim before the Father in ourselves. All we have is demerits, but there is infinite merit that can be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Unsearchable riches that are found in him. Unsearchable, unfathomable, infinite merits are found in Jesus. We ourselves are like debtors in great debt because of our sin. If we were to go to the bank and Try to make a withdrawal from the bank as debtors 
they would say, well, you have nothing. You are in great debt. And we would receive nothing based upon our own accounts. But if we went and we were to draw from the account of Jesus, there would be infinite funds for us. And that's the way it is for us in heaven. Pray in the name of Jesus means that we depend entirely upon his merits to be given to us. In the name, he says, in my name. That's how we come before the Father. In my name, he says. There is no more powerful name in heaven than the name of Jesus. His name has been exalted above all others. There is no one more known No one more wonderful, no one more exalted in that place of glory. No person more honored than Jesus and the name of Jesus. There is no name that has more influence with God the Father. There is no name that has more power and authority and sway with him than the name of Jesus. The apostle tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that God has highly exalted him. And given to him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It is in the name of Jesus alone. Only in his name by his merit. That he has earned by everything that he has done, his incarnation to come into this world. He who was rich became poor so that we who are so poor might become rich. He has come into the world by his incarnation, by his humiliation, his perfect life and death. He has achieved all merit and he has all merit for us now in heaven. We come in the name of Jesus. And so no wonder Jesus can make such a wide and generous promise here. In which he can say, whatsoever you need, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Perhaps you've had in a past a friend who is well known and has great influence and your friend is able to do things for you and to get you into places that you would never be able to get into yourself. Perhaps you've known someone like that. Some years ago we had a family member. Uh, My wife's father, my father-in-law, his name was Lou. His friends called him Luigi. He was well known down at the baseball stadium And whenever Lou, Luigi, and I would go to the game, as soon as we entered, the ushers, other people in the stadium, they knew Luigi, and they would come to Luigi, and they would say, Luigi, Luigi, it is so good to see you, and they would bring us down to the very front row, they would find us a front row seat in the stadium to watch the game. It was not because of me that I was welcomed in this way, it was because of him. They did not know me, they knew him. And it was because of him that I got the front row seat. They knew him in that stadium. 
And so it is with us when we come before the throne of God in heaven in the name of Jesus. We are welcomed. We are ushered in. And we have this entrance into the very center of heaven before the throne of God. There is no name that has more power, authority, and sway in heaven than the name of Jesus. The Father sits at his throne in heaven. And when he hears one of his saints coming in the name of Jesus, he looks at his right hand, he sees his beloved son, who has accomplished everything that he gave him to do, who has finished all the work of salvation, who has cleansed all sin of his people, who has a perfect righteousness that is given to his people. When he hears a saint coming in the name of Jesus, God the Father's heart is inclined to hear, and he delights to hear and answer the prayers of his people. When we come in the name of Jesus. Two times in these promises, Jesus says this for emphasis to make us aware that there is only one way for us to come, only one way of approach, only one way of access, only one way of blessing in prayer. We must come in the name of Jesus. So when we pray, What do we often do? We often say our prayer and then we get done with our prayer and we have the little tag on at the end. We say, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we really don't give it much thought. Just a little thing we say by rote at the end of our prayers, but it really ought to be much more to us. And I am not saying that we should say in the beginning of our prayers, we come in the name of Jesus. That would not be wrong if we were to say it. I am not saying that we need to have that form. But what I am saying is that in all of our prayers, we must be always conscious, always fully aware with our faith fixed upon him alone that we are coming only in the name of Jesus. We are coming only by his blood. We are coming, we are standing only in his righteousness. And we are pleading nothing from ourselves, but only his merit in answer to our prayers. By his blood, by his righteousness, with his merit, for his honor, and for his glory, we pray. So Jesus makes this very broad and open promise to us. He says to us, whatever you ask, in verse 13. In verse 14, he says, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we need to understand what is this whatever that he speaks of? What is this anything that he promises? Does this mean that we may ask for any worldly thing? Any earthly pleasure that we desire in the Father? And Jesus will fulfill it for us. These promises are often misinterpreted. When they are taken to mean such things that we may ask for more money, better jobs, 
better, more possessions and a life of comfort and ease. That's the way of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's the way these verses are used among them. But Jesus' great interest here and throughout the gospel is for our salvation, our eternal salvation. And he knows very often that for him to give us more of the earthly things that we think we need and desire, that it would not be good for our souls, for our spiritual life. He will give us our daily bread. He will meet our physical needs in this life, but he will never give us things that are harmful to our souls. He would rather let us struggle for earthly things that we might know our dependence upon him continually. Because that would be better for our souls than to give us earthly things. The words here, whatever and anything, must be taken in the context of the spiritual needs that Jesus is speaking of in the context here. Often we look at these two verses of Scripture, what do we do? We pull them out of the context. And that's always a problem in interpreting Scripture. What we need to do is see how these promises fit in the rest of this passage of the Scripture to help us to understand the spiritual things that Jesus is speaking of. Now, we could simply go to verse 16, and there he is saying to them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. So in verses 13 and 14, we are the ones who pray. And then in verse 16 and 17, the Fa- Jesus prays to the Father that we might receive more of the Holy Spirit. So there we have it, and we have covered that extensively in our previous sermons, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the context. Anything you need of the power, the grace, and the help of the Holy Spirit Whatever you ask in regard to that, I will give to you. But this morning as we close, we have only one thought from the passage in regard to the prayers and in the, in the promises of prayer. And then, Lord willing, tonight we'll consider some others. The first thing we say this morning is that the promises of prayer are for our spiritual needs in the Christian life. They are for our spiritual needs in the Christian life. If we look back to verse 2, Jesus has spoken of returning to his heavenly Father. He is going there, he says, at the end of verse 2, to prepare a place for you. And then he says in verse 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is the end of his work in heaven. He speaks here of his second coming. And his great concern is that when he returns, he will receive us to himself. And what is implied is that we ourselves will be ready to meet him when he returns. We will be prepared to stand before him, as he so often speaks of in the other Gospels. 
So we may even look at verse 3, and if we bring in other passages from the other Gospels, we can read it in this way. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And may you be ready. And may you be prepared to meet me when I come again, so that I may receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So between now and his second coming, there is that narrow way that leads to eternal life. And we must follow him by faith and obedience. We must keep his commandments, as he says down in verse 15. If you love me, we must love him, and you will keep my commandments. We must continue to keep his commandments. The narrow way is not a quick and easy path to travel. For most of us, it is a very long, it seems to us, a long path. Years upon years, decades of faith, obedience, trials, temptations. Decades of labor, perseverance. It is a way of dangers. The narrow way is a way of many snares, many toils, snares, dangers. There are temptations. There is the spiritual warfare that we must fight every day along that way. The flaming missiles of the evil one being shot down upon us. There are many places for us to stumble along the way. There are battles that we must fight. There are wounds that we will feel. Trials, tribulations, difficulties, persecutions, disappointments and setbacks. There are troubles. There are sorrows and griefs. All of these things we must pass through. And our faith will be tried along that narrow way. Our faith will be tried like gold that is placed into a fiery furnace to test its sincerity, and its genuineness. That's what Peter speaks of when he says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. And so we must pass along this narrow way that leads to eternal life, and we ourselves, we have no strength to endure this path. We have no wisdom to know how to conduct ourselves and to keep ourselves from the bypass and from the dangers that are around us. That's why we need the promise of verse 13 and 14 where he says, whatever you ask in my name, whatever strength that you need as you travel and prepare for my second coming, whatever help you need, Whatever wisdom is needed before my second coming, I am coming to receive you. I will give you whatever you ask along the way. I will give you anything. If you ask anything, any grace, any protection that is needed, any provision that is needed, I will not withhold it from you. If you ask anything in my name, I promise you, he says, I will do it. And so it is the context, it is in the context of his second return and our need to be prepared and ready for his appearing. That's the context in which the prayer, the promises are given. The needs of Jesus' disciples are so many. Even within this room with just a few people, the needs of one saint is so different from the needs of another saint. 
The needs that we have at one time in life are different at a di another time in life. Different needs when we are young, different needs when we are old. The wisdom that we need for today is not enough for tomorrow. The needs of Jesus' people in different nations around the world today are very different from one another. The need that we have for wisdom, strength, and grace to be faithful to Jesus in this country is very different from the grace and strength needed by other disciples in other parts of the world. And the needs we have today are different from the needs of saints centuries ago. And so there is this great variety, the varied needs of all the saints, and so the promise must be as wide as all the needs of the saints, and so he gives the promise, whatever you need, if anything, if you ask anything in my name, I know your needs, and I will give it to you. Sometimes we need more patience, more wisdom. Other times we need more courage. We always need more fruit of the Holy Spirit. We always need more light and understanding into the Scripture. Sometimes our souls become dull and cold and distant to God. Sometimes we need reviving. Our souls, as the psalmist said, my soul is like a wineskin in the smoke. That's dry, that's cold, that's distant from Jesus. Revive me according to thy word, he says. We need the spirit to come and awaken us and revive our souls along the way. So we have all these needs by which we have nothing in ourselves. We must receive it all from Jesus that we might walk safely on the narrow way that leads to life. Do you need more sanctification in your life today? Do you need more strength against the temptations of the world that you are so surrounded by? Do you need wisdom to guard yourself in this life? Do you need more oil in your lamp so that you may be ready to enter the wedding feast when the great bridegroom returns? Or do you need, as Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, do you need gold that is refined by fire that you may become truly rich? Do you need white garments to cover your shame? Do you need eye salve to anoint your eyes that you might see? Jesus invites us here to come and he will give us whatever we need. Whatever you ask in my name, if you need anything in my name, I will do it for you. We will look at other connections with the context, Lord willing, tonight. But we have already seen enough to answer a very important question in regard to prayer. And the question is, why does it seem like so many 
of our prayers are not answered. Notice I said, why does it seem that our prayers, so many of our prayers are not answered? Why does it appear to us from our perspective that our prayers, so many of them are not answered? Jesus makes these very broad, general promises here. No limitation, it seems, to be on these promises except for the context of his words. He says, whatever you ask, if you ask anything, he speaks with such certainty that he will do it twice in both verses. He says, I will do it, that will I do, I will do it. But one of the great discouragements that we have is that it seems to us that so many of our prayers are not answered. If we were to put into one pile the prayers that are answered or seem to be answered by us and then into the other pile the prayers that seem not to be answered, it seems that the prayers that seem not to be answered, that pile would be a very much larger pile than the prayers that have been answered. But this is not an accurate perspective of Jesus in his fulfillment in these promises. Because we must interpret the fulfillment of the promise in the context in which Jesus' great concern is our eternal life and our preparation and readiness when he returns. So let me ask the question, are you still walking on the narrow way that leads to eternal life? Are you still reading your Bible daily? Are you still in the secret place? Day by day, spending time with the Lord Jesus in secret fellowship with him? Are you still believing in him? Do you still love to hear the word of God in the church? Do you still believe what you hear? If you do, then that is your perseverance in the faith. And that is Jesus' answer to these prayers. Are we still walking in obedience to his commandments, as he says in verse 15? Still pursuing holiness, still striving to keep ourselves from the sins of this present world, We are weak, we are faltering, yes, but our efforts are there and they are real and they are sincere. And when we fall, we go continually to the blood of Jesus. We have no other hope, we have no other place to go. Do we still love him? And do we love to see him in the gospel? And do we love to rejoice in him? Do we say we wish to see Jesus and we see his lovely face in the word of God and we rejoice over all that the Bible says to us. If these things are true, then they are the evidence to us of his fulfillment of his promise. I am coming again. I am there in heaven preparing a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself and you must be ready for me when I come. And so whatever you ask, I will do it for you. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. And so what he has been doing year after year, day after day, year after year, decade after decade for us is giving us the grace, the strength, 
the wisdom, the help that we need to persevere on that way and to be ready for him when he returns. We have, if we have been Christians for any length of time, we have been through trials and temptations. And every trial and every temptation is an opportunity for us to depart from the Lord and to give up our faith. That's what it is. The only way that we persevere is by being men and women of prayer, as Jesus speaks of in verse 13 and 14. It's the only way we get to heaven. We have seen many depart from the way. And it happens often. And the reason why, the reason why it happens can often, I would say, almost always be traced to this point, that they lose their heart of prayer and fellowship with Jesus. That's where it all begins. They no longer come in verse 13 and 14 with their prayers. So by his grace, we are preparing ourselves, purifying ourselves, fixing our eyes upon him and waiting for his return. And if we look at it from that perspective, then we have received the answer to our prayers. That whatever we have asked of him, he has given to us. And anything that we have asked of him that is needful for us on the narrow way, he has given it to us. Yes, he has fulfilled his prayer, his promise to us. We have prayed, he has heard, and he has granted to us everything that we need. And our hope is he will continue to do so to the very end. He loves us in the world now. And he will love us to the end. And so this is his perspective as he looks down upon us that he is faithful to his promises always. And this is his continuing love for us. Not an earthly, short-sighted love to give us things that would be passing pleasures of the world and things that would do us no eternal good, but he has a true, lasting, and everlasting love by which he gives us everything needful in the Christian life. So we must continue to pray. We must not lose heart over these promises. We must not misinterpret them. We must believe and we must continue to pray because Jesus has promised us, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for the word of Jesus to us this morning. Thank you for his continuing love for us, that he is at the right hand of God and he always hears our cries. He always lives to make intercession for us. Lord Jesus, Strengthen our faith, increase our understanding, our trust in you. Help us never to turn away 
from the secret place of prayer that we may cast these things upon you. We pray that you would hear us now and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.